0: Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor, and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Darrawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the Convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi, I'm Pamela Cook, host and producer of the Rights for Women podcast. And I'm Claudine Tonellas from Talking Aussie Books. We've joined forces to bring you a series of exciting interviews from the recent Romance Writers of Australia conference in Fremantle. Chatting with authors whose work ranges from historical and contemporary fiction, crime and rural romance, rom-coms and domestic thrillers. We wanted to know what being part of an organisation like the RWA meant to each of them and the impact it had
1: on their respective journeys to publication.
0: We had a blast chatting to these brilliant women and can't wait to share the results.
1: So tune in to Rights for Women and Talking Aussie Books over the next eight weeks for these fabulous episodes.
0: Happy listening. Janu and Samara Parrish, welcome to the Rights for Women Talking Aussie Books RWA Green Room. Hello, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining Claudine and myself. She'll be doing some other chats with different authors. And to start with, can you give us your elevator bio, Pen?
2: Ooh. I was a lawyer for many years, so I wrote with quite a lot of footnotes and references. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing for about 10 years of our series of fiction. And I write rural fiction and some romantic comedy and published my own columns.
1: Fantastic, so Mark, My name's Smart. I've had a really varied career from marketing to teaching to now romance writing, which is fun. I write historical romance sets around the Regency era and
0: So we're starting with a couple of questions on, or the first question on being part of RWA. So what impact has being a member of RWA had on your writing and on your career and how has coming to the conference helped you? With all
2: that, in many ways, actually, it was probably my second eighth conference, I think. And so first of all, I think I didn't speak to anybody, really. I spoke to one person, one person on the last day of the conference, that it just was so eye-opening to me me in terms of craft, in terms of networking and not networking for the purpose of networking Mm -hmm. and the people you meet from time to time. I think things are even easier now than they were in that short period ago as far as social media and so on goes. I think we do get in touch. We recognise each other yeah. through that. But even in those days, it's much less than that. So I guess, yeah, certainly craft workshops on like a little nerd and I sit in and listen to all the sessions and I always get something yeah. out of all the different sessions. Yeah, it was great. And also now you know, I have a lot of friends involved in the organisation. And also it an opportunity to get to know Authors who are very new in their careers as well. And I find, especially my age, I love that. Like people a bit years ago and then they pitched and then they're coming back in a, in a really corporate writing way, which is wonderful to see To Yeah. Had you had any books published when you attended your first? Album? No, I have not i finished one book, first book on the same page. And I pitched it, so that was the first time I pitched at that conference too. And it was at my second conference. I'd actually written a second book, and I pitched my second book. But some of the people that I'd sent my first book to remembered me and remembered that book. And I think it was on that basis, in some ways, they probably thought, okay, we, the first book wasn't right for us for whatever reason. But then I got away, and I'd written a whole other book, mm-hmm. and that was in at the deep end, and that was picked up that yeah,
0: year. That year at RWA, as a result of pitching at RWA. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. How about you, Simone? How's your experience been with RWA in the conference? Look, I think I wanted
1: to be a writer for a very long time, but I just didn't do it. And I think coming to RWA and meeting so many people, particularly at that first conference, it gave me sort of the motivation. And you, you develop these friendships with these people that you've really only known for a couple of days. You leave going, oh my goodness, I feel like I've known you for years. And I think those establishing those relationships helped me really get into a writing pattern, be part of the writing community and get those first couple of books written, which was great. And like Penelope said, the craft is fantastic. I can think back to all of the Friday workshops that I've done where it's the really deep insight into a particular element of craft. And it's just shaped me and my writing so much. I just wouldn't be where I am without RWA, mm, made me yeah. Were you picked up originally at, uh, after a pitch at RWA? Or? No, I have pitched a couple of times at RWA. It was a really good experience, but I ended up finding my agent through a Twitter pitch competition, actually.
0: Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, this one's a bit of a choice where you can answer all three. What's your funniest slash most embarrassing slash most memorable moment as an author?
1: Smart. Oh, goodness. The, most, the funniest or most embarrassing is there's always the awkwardness of your grandparents, your grandfather reading your book and having an opinion on certain scenes. which yes. But I think that probably my most memorable event, I haven't been a published author for very long. My first book came out last May. And so anytime somebody that's not my friends or family comes up to me and says, oh, I read your book and I'm like, really? It's just, it's such it's exciting. And I think that's one of the good things about RWA is you, you're developing all these relationships with people who are aspiring like yourself and people who are established. And then you get somebody like Rachel Johns going, oh, yes, right. Yeah. Sorry, Ian, here. Like, it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. That's, hey. <laughs> so yeah. That's good. Pitching him Month. Yeah. Lots yeah. I yeah. bet you think. Any of the above or
2: Yeah, a probably oh, memorable moment was a yeah. I suppose that first so so that your novels don't be published, but then I'm such a worrier, so it, it should be it's meant to be wonderful to see your book in the bookshops. But all I do is if it's not there, I think well, okay, it's not there. I don't know if that's in that bookshop or if it is there, then I think nobody's buying it. So I just everything is just a bit of stress and worry, but I am a worrier. But on the whole, and I think that with time, actually, now I have a number of books out. And so just things like reviews or comments or I always remember the ones that aren't as positive. And, but now I think with ISTEN, I really I love my books more, the ones that in the past in a way because I think that's really lovely and it's really the nicest thing I think about being an author is where you just get that email every once in a while and it's somebody who's loved your book yeah. and they've really got it. And I think, oh, my goodness, like when we're all – practising our crafts and penning our words. That's what we wanted to say. We, love, we still fall in love with these characters that we're creating, but the fact that somebody else is actually engaging in those characters and they're real, and obviously we we're all readers as well as writers, and those moments where it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you turning your pages of a book and you just turn it down. And, yeah, to think that the words that we've written might mean something really special to our readers, yeah,
0: that's fabulous. Makes it all, makes all that hard work and those early mornings or late late nights worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: not always there, but you remember it. Then mm-hmm. definitely think you, and often you die when you're doing it, and you read it, so it's all awful. But then I think it is all those moments where you get an email or some reader or like Samara said, the, another writer approaches you and so I've really enjoyed your book and you think, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's really wonderful. That's, yeah, that's well, yeah, what drives us and it's nice to think that we can actually communicate that way. Yeah, who is your biggest horse crush and why? Oh, very tricky. I'm going to go to Samara's territory. Yeah, Julia Quinn. Way before Julia really way, way before, And I read a lot of historical romance. I started out my mother when I was fourteen. Not uh, probably about thirteen. And had a friend we were on a camping trip, and my mother decided that we were both boy and bear. And she was concerned about that beach in the caravan, and so she went to her local shop and she bought a Barbara Cartland novel. And we actually said, "Well, you know, this is the girls who sit down and read." And that was my first romance, or one of the first. Three. I looked for romance earlier books but I realized that I hadn't realised that were. She was worried about you being boy mad, that you bought your friend. Oh, well, you can be somewhere of your bedroom reading Barbara Carlin. and I was absolutely hooked. Barbara Cartland, there is Georgia. Hayer. And I suppose that was the historical stuff, Then I started other historical romance because that was my like real start. And I still think even though I write contemporary, my guys are very historical guy. <laughs> in many yeah. ways, like that dynamic and so on. And obviously, things change, that that my first love. It's
1: um, interesting to say that because, like, I, I would categorize my books as historical romance, but they're really like contemporaries, kind of with a like. Uh, my tagline is historical romance to contemporary readers because I feel like mm-hmm. my guys are really contemporary. Yeah, and funny enough, because I was looking at your work right
2: when I knew we were going to be interviewed, it was quite funny. I was sitting on bed and I thought, oh, I really like the idea. <laughs> I, just, just really probably because of Kensington, yeah, and the historical stuff I like most of often is that characters, isn't it? And you write a character that's a really well rounded character, and that's what resonates with the readers no
1: matter mm-hmm. the era
2: yeah. the characters.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about you, Samara, if you got an
1: awesome crotch? Julia Quinn, I did meet her. I was bawling. She probably thought that I was, <laughs> that I was completely mad. And I handed her that, like this letter that I had written because I knew that I was not going to be able to express myself in words. So that was a really big moment. I was actually meant to be taking kids on school camp. I was a teacher at that point and she was in Melbourne. And I'm like, I, I need to meet her. Like, I can't. So I literally, I put the kids on the bus and went, I'll meet you at camp, guys. (laughs) Put them on the bus. And then I went to the library and I saw her and did listen to her speak and I met her and and then I and then my husband drove me all the way out to Phillip Island so that I could join the kids. So yeah, I mean she's I she's definitely like one, obviously, yeah. Just remember, one. I would love to meet Suzanne Enoch, Tessa Dare's funny as hell on Twitter, and
0: yeah, all the heroes. Yeah, yeah, she you to choose from. How do you go about developing your skills as a writer? For
1: me, look, I like to, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I get a lot of feedback. The romance writers of Australia competitions were really crucial for me. Those, it took me three years to write my first novel, and it was entered in so many competitions. It came like 52nd out of 56, the first competition that it was in. And then and but the feedback was invaluable. And then these conferences are fantastic. And I was part of the Melbourne Romance Writers Guild, which had a very big focus on professional development. So a lot of it's just that learning and getting feedback and developing a thick skin and yeah.
0: How did you handle that source of feedback when you came fifty two out of fifty six? probably
1: cried. I have cried a few times yes. over
0: those issues. We yeah. like <laughs> quite often I sit there and go,
1: What? No. And then an hour later I'm like, actually, okay, yeah, sure I can see. I can make how you got there.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? With a bit of hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> how about you, Pen? What do you do to develop your writing skills?
2: Yeah, I'm just reading, writing, editing. I think editing. And I think well as a it's unfortunate in a way as a writer now, when I read, it's hard not I read critically. You can read the oh my goodness, that is amazing what that writer has done. Or you can be <laughs> too busy analyzing no the writer's actually gonna actually want to read it too much as a story as you would normally. But yeah, just crap reading. I first do it more by reading actually. Not always craft books, but that's what I found in RWA. Great, right? because actually hearing the the things that you do, and like with Michael Hank, for example, yeah, stay. And I didn't realise that there was this kind of the store, even the story arc was pretty new to me. And now things like that, I suppose, in rewriting, I really apply that. And I write generically, I start page one and I finish it or pages later. But then I do go back and I test that, and I think I'm testing that subconsciously all the way through. So. Yeah, so there is craft things that resonate when some don't. We think even worry about writing books. Sometimes we swap articles and so on and then and some are saying, oh my goodness, that that is really valuable. And so that's a really lovely resource when you're working with other writers and students and mm. being in the guild and, uh, that, you know, people pick things up that, that really resonate with you. So you have to be very open, I think, to that. And also to appreciate yeah. it guess our writing styles do change over time. Yeah. So it sure. will always have that say, so voice, but what you can do with your voice, and so I've been lucky that. I think I do a few quirky things in writing and I seem to work okay. Like I seem to get away with it.
0: She's really nice because then you feel like you are changing the way you write. Changing way yeah. And making it like really unique to you. Not unique, but quite individual. Yeah. You're in style. Yeah. If yeah. both mentioned craft hooks and podcasts, what would be your favourite writing or book related podcast? Rebecca Simon's here
1: this weekend and I have been part of her Better Faster Academy since 2015. Okay. Sorry. She's one of the few people that I subscribe to and it's like every time she's got a new video I'm, I'm i'm listening to that and that's that's all about how to work with your personality mm. in order to get the most out of your writing and i found that just okay like just to learn about because you, you can use it in your writing obviously to learn how to be a, a better writer but then it just also helps you understand so many other aspects of your life as well so yeah definitely the better faster i think her it's called the quick cast is the actual name of her podcast quick cast okay I didn't
0: realize she had a podcast. here that she did stuff like through her website. But
1: yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's a really great podcast. Oh, and she's got some books as well. Yes. I can you those up. Pet?
2: Yeah, and I have liked your podcast and Chloe's podcast obviously, and Michelle Barrack, writer's book club. I love that podcast. Do that kind of deep dive into into um, writers' work, and I found that really fascinating as a writer. the things that the writers say in, in that podcast, that's really great. Often I listen to things as part of my research. And I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I tend to, when I'm writing and I am write full-time now and so then I'll be walking the dog or whatever and I can't actually listen to a podcast at the same time because then I'm not thinking through what I've been working on or writing. I listen to like, things like Richard Feidler conversations on ABC and there'll be fascinating guests there if I'm researching something that's often environmental, whether it's Julie Frogs or Antarctica or the environment. And so then I actually just look up podcasts, people with podcasts in that particular Area, mm. so they're more nonfiction.
0: Yeah, Podcast. podcasts on everything. Well, yeah. You know, right,
2: yeah, and science. I found some really fascinating stuff for there, and that might be a one-off, but it's a really nice way to to get into a topic or to get interested in a topic. And you have know, the quite fascinating people, either. and they often they bring in all different sorts of threads that you might not have considered <laughs> previously. So I think that's as far as a research tool goes.
0: I think podcasts can work really well for writers. You know. Yeah, that's true. That's not necessarily about the writing, but it can be about whatever it is you research. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. What would be your top, and this is probably, we may have covered this ground in previous answers, but if you can think of anything, what would be your top tip for writers?
2: Keep writing and finish the book. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, then editing or whatever. But I think you just have to, yeah, keep going. And I think more to the start in the first place. I find, and I think a lot of artists, sometimes you get to that kind of the set. And then by then you've developed a couple of characters and you're really interested in those characters. Or if you're really interested in those characters, readers will be interested in those characters as well. And then I think that keeps you going because then the characters themselves are actually, you're following the characters themselves in their story. So, yes, you might have fallen to a piece. There's a plot problem or something like that, that you have enough faith in those characters that you can work your way out of that once you've actually established
1: I think I couldn't have done it without the community around me. To be honest. Yeah, it's been a really important part of my professional development, but also my motivation. And there's nothing more exciting than wherever I've gone. I've tried to I've tried to find some writer friends that I can go to a coffee shop and have a bit of a writing session. I really missed that when I left Melbourne, but then I found Justine Lewis and Camper. So I think that sometimes writing is really hard. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes writing sucks. Sometimes the business sucks. Like you can get your royalty statements and see oh. I'm $6,000 in a negative. And you need you need people at that point who understand the business and can be there because your husband can be incredibly supportive but not get it. Yeah. Friends can be compl- you know, very supportive but not get it. So I think having, you know, your people around you who understand just make the hard times easier and make the good times even better.
0: Yeah, yeah that's very true. You've been fantastic and we would like to just finish with you telling us about your latest release. Oh, a bit okay, of a yeah. on your
1: latest book. So, How to Deceive the is the story of a Scottish chemist in 1824. There weren't a lot of women chemists back then, and she has I invented matches. But in order to sell them, she needs to dress as a man because men don't want anything to do with her. And unfortunately, there's, it starts with her in jail because. She got arrested a protest. She's very political. And her ex-boyfriend is the Duke, and the judge says to her, you're allowed out of jail, but I need to go live with him. So it's forced proximity, girl in pants, cross-class difference. Sounds great. My latest Nazism Horizon was released this year.
2: Yeah, yeah for heroes and meteorologist, and heroines the occupational therapist. i always get really interested in point samara to follow that on your page your character and then that really carries it through at the moment i've forgotten every other book because i'm doing the edits the shelter from the store and so that'll be my january 2023 release and that's that enable opposite who to her roots in the country so i'm very much in that world at the moment so at the moment i'm i really like the book but Give me another few weeks and i like not.
1: I'm throwing it right. It's so confusing <laughs> to hear you say that because there's nothing like finishing your page proofs and being like, this is the worst book ever. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: Then you have to wait for to in the world and someone will say something nasty. Oh, yeah, that's the distance
1: I was talking
2: about.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: When's your next book at tomorrow?
1: Yes, December 13th. Okay. Uh, how to Win the War, which I'm super excited about. Tell us a little bit about that. The House Winner Wallflower is the third in the Rebels with the Cause series, and it follows Charlotte Sterling, who is the sister to a Duke, and she's like the world's biggest extrovert. She wouldn't love a conference like this. She just, <laughs> love, but she just loves people, needs to be around people, and the hero and engineer who has his brother has died. He's the new bike. He is the opposite. You cannot get a more introverted person. So they actually fall in love fairly easily, but it's difficult for them to live in each other's worlds because she needs people and he really doesn't need people and they're incompatible in that way for a mm. long time.
2: And Pen, I don't think you told us about children from the storm, which will be your uh, January. That, that's my neighbour opposite patients, uh, Patience, and I'm not at all good at maths, but she is pretty much a, extremely good at mathematics, which I love writing, actually, because it really fascinating the way she thinks, but it's, I've got to be able to understand it for my readers, I understand it too. So yeah, she's a really quirky character. But Hugo Isted is you know on that one and he is a biologist and he has an expertise in Gibeon. He has a really interesting career and he worked on the river and he works in country areas. And then he ends up coming back to the country. So they actually did have a very brief sort of relationship when they were younger. And so then this is nine years on. So it's been lovely bringing it back. It's got a Jane Austen persuasion vibe in a way. I've always absolutely adored that book. And yes, half agony, half hope. Pretty much the whole thing. Some big around in a way. You don't to you know, persuasion. So it's been really lovely
1: writing those two characters. So I'm really curious what did you think of me, persuasion?
2: I... I haven't actually watched it, but I have. Yeah, my daughter's an English teacher and everything, and I've got another brand defense. I've read an awful lot about it. I think there are going to be too many, yeah, talking to camera over things like that, so I don't think it's going to be for me.
1: I, I got stuck. I got stuck. I, so I suffer really badly from secondhand embarrassment. So if there's a really embarrassing scene, I feel all of that. Wow. And have you seen it? No, I haven't. Okay. Like so there's
0: has, and she really liked. it.
1: Or there's this mm-hmm. dinner scene. There's this dinner scene, and it's just, so I had to turn it off. And I, I I will go back to it, but I just was not, I,
0: it was just, it,
1: it was too much. Oh, God. Oh, God. It was so embarrassing. <laughs>
2: No, to me, and that's the thing with my daughter, that's Jane Austen's well, mature, it's mature love, or it's mature love, and it's that, it's, that's the depth and the meaning of it all, and so it just seems that it's not the love that you make light of, which obviously happened, but look, Mary, Mary, I have I've read an awful lot about it, so I actually should, you may not <laughs> know
1: what it is, that
2: I probably, yeah.
1: Um, awesome. <laughs> I've got to enjoy it. Life is too short. <laughs> Thank you very much,
0: ladies, for joining us. And have a fantastic conference. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's been so <laughs> Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at w4wpodcast, The Facebook page Writes for Women. Find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end.